Hello and welcome. Welcome. I'm Alec Wilkinson and welcome to episode two of Sailing Uncovered, the show that aims to bring you the big names, the future talent and hot topics from the world of sailing. And talking of hot topics and talent, we're just a few days away now from Rio 2016. For the sailors, it is, of course, the climax of so much training and so much hard work for the rest of us. Well, it's a wonderful fortnight of drinking beer and sitting in front of the telly, isn't it? So, how appropriate that this month's show is our Olympic preview. Most sailors have done between 90 and 150 days in Rio this cycle. The worst thing you can do is worry about being worried. There's absolutely no reason to. That's your body's way of getting you ready for the fight. we just got to be careful. Yes, will there be people who get sick during the Games? Most likely. There's a vibrance and an innocence to young Olympic campaigners that I find very refreshing. The conditions within the bay will make the racing a little tricky. There's not going to be, in every class, the favourite isn't going to win. Yes, it's a packed podcast this month. We'll be hearing from the Canadian and British sailing camps or just how good they actually think they are, who their new stars will be, and one thing that they all agree on, the magic cure for Rio's fetid water. We also talk to Olympic legend, big fanfare for him, please, Ian Percy, who has uh, some crucial advice for all the sailors competing in Rio this year. But first, a man who in his day could have challenged all of them, if only he could have been bothered. Sailing journalist and Olympic expert, Andy Rice. Thank you so much for that intro. <laughs> and so, I, I am I am thrilled to be in Rio with you, Alec. I can't wait. Um, I've always loved the Olympic Games. So yes, I'd, I'd rather be sailing. But uh, talking about other people doing it is the next best thing. It is indeed. So Rio 2016, your hopes and fears. Well, Alec, my great hope is that the Olympic sailing will be one of the showcase sports at these Olympic Games. And why? Because sailing for one of those rare occasions is actually taking place right in the centre of things. And in fact, closer to downtown Rio than even the Olympic Stadium. So the photographers and and the TV have a great opportunity to showcase sailing against that amazing backdrop of uh, Sugarloaf Mountain, of Copacabana Beach, of Jesus uh, the Redeemer, Christ the Redeemer, gazing down from that mountain. So I think visually it's going to be spectacular. Uh, the downside that has been so well documented, I hope it's going to be a storm in a teacup, is just how bad the water quality is, both in terms of its bacterial quality and, and what it can do to a sailor's innards, um, but also um, what they run into on the race course. Plastic bags, uh, um, logs, um, of, of both kinds and, um, and worse. So um, those, those are the hopes and fears. But overall, I remain really optimistic. OK, well, a few changes to the Olympic classes uh, at Rio. So in the spirit of improvisation, let's see if we can run through the 10 Olympic classes that will be contested this year in Rio. And I'll um, let you go first. I'll start with a men's single hander, the laser. The laser radial, which at uh, the Olympics is women only. The women's double-hander, the 470. And the men's 470. The women's skiff, the brand-new class, the 49er FX. Now the boat with wings, yes. And the men's, the 49er. The windsurfer for men, the RSX. RSX for women, which I think leaves us two more classes. 
Well, for men only, it's the heavyweight dinghy, the fin. That Ben Ainsley uh, won so many medals in. And finally, brand new to Rio 2016, the catamaran, the NACRA 17, with a mixed crew. But uh, go on, out of all those classes, then pick one that you think everyone should tune in to watch and why. I think the NACRA 17 is a spectacular class. Um, I love the fact that it's boys and girls racing together. You don't see much of that in any of the, the Olympic sports when you stop and think about it. So I think that was a great innovation. I think visually the boats are very exciting. They sometimes get up on the foils, uh, but they're quite unstable. It, it's like trying to sail a um, uh, a unicycle. So, so they require a, a lot of balance and uh, that makes for exciting watching. Let's cross to Toronto now in Canada and Steve Mitchell, the high-performance coach with the Canadian Olympic Sailing Squad. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, Steve. Nine sailors across six events at Rio 2016 for your country. How do you think you'll do? Well, nice to talk to you again, Alec. Um, We're we're happy with the team that we're sending. We've got quite a lean team. Um, along with a lot of other countries, we've we've decided not to send some athletes in some classes where we don't think the performance will be at the level we want it to be at. Um, we have six classes. We've got a young, hungry team. A bit of experience there. We've got one team that has an Acra team has a two-time Olympian steering and a four-time Olympian crewing. Um, everybody else is, uh, this is their first Olympics. So we're looking forward to it and everybody's very excited as you can imagine. So uh, by not, uh, providing sailors in, in every one of the classes, um, is, is that helping those who are going? What's the thinking behind it? it it's, it's tricky. The, the main problem we have with the Olympics is the amount of accreditation we're allowed. So that basically means how many coaches you're allowed to have in the venue and on the water. Um, so for us, that's allocated by our Canadian Olympic committee. Um, and we have at the moment four coaching passes essentially. So to try and cover all 10 classes with four coaches becomes very hard to do. Um, Rio is a big venue. There's seven race courses and some of them will take you up to an hour to get there towing with a coach boat. Um, so having, you know, all the classes there for us, we don't have the manpower to cover them. And that doesn't give our sailors the best chance to succeed when they are there. So, yes, it does help the people who are going that the team is is leaner um, and potentially more efficient. Uh, so who are the names for us to look out for? Um, well, I work directly with the laser class. So Lee Parkhill is our selected sailor there. He's from Toronto. Um, he was fifth in the test event last year. Um, and he won a bronze medal at the Pan Am Games last year, which is a lot of people in Europe won't have heard of it, but it's basically North America and South America. It's their kind of continental Olympics. Um, Robert Scheidt won the silver medal and won Magali from Guatemala won the gold medal. So it was a very competitive fleet. Um, and he just came fourth at the World Cup event in Weymouth. So he's the conditions are very similar to what he's grown up in in Toronto, kind of very fluffy winds, a bit of current, flattish water within the bay, um, so it really suits his technique and his talent. So touch wood, the conditions are actually like that at the games and he'll be a name to look out for. Um, now the, it's probably easier to go through the, the four events that you're not sending, uh, to that's, um, any of the windsurfing, the 49er yeah. and the women's 470. That's right. Um, 
in, in those other classes that are going, um, do you fancy anyone else's chances of, of a medal? Yeah, I think, you know, as with any Olympics, anybody can win a medal, right? You just have to have that dream week that everybody hopes for. Um, we've got people for sure who can put themselves in, the, in a medal race. And then once you're in a medal race, that's where you have to hope everything falls correctly for you to actually turn that into a medal. Um, the NACRA class, we're reasonably strong. We have Luke Ramsey, who was a previous world youth champion in the laser. Um, he's teamed up with Nicola Gerke, who's a four-time Olympian in 470s and windsurfing. Um, and they've become quite a strong force now in the NACRA 17. Uh, they were top 10 at the last World Cup in Weymouth. And I think they were leading after the first or second day. Um, the Finn class, it's something historically Canada has been relatively strong in the Finn class. It's had a good background here. Uh, one of my ex laser sailors transitioned into the Finn, um, only in August last year, which is a pretty short lead time to go to the Olympics. Um, his first major result was just outside the top 10 in Miami at the world cup. He was then 10th at the Europeans and just finished eighth at the world cup. Uh, sorry, the Gold Cup for the Finns. So he's really on a rapid progression. And as somebody with essentially nothing to lose, he's just throwing everything he can into it. Um, on the laser radial side, Brenda Bowskill is a, a qualified representative there. Um, she, again, was top 10 at the World Championships recently out in Mexico. Um, and she's been putting in performances that have seen her you know, among the top girls in that class um, in the last few events. Uh, the 49 FX... Um, we have two girls who, one from Halifax, Nova Scotia, and one from Kingston in Ontario. Um, they're always just on the edge of medal race qualification. So I would expect them if they have a good week and sail to their level, they could make the medal race. Um, and then we have two developing 470 sailors, the Saunders brothers who are they're from Nova Scotia. They're young. They've been sailing the 470 for a while. Um, it's not one of our supported classes. So they've been having to go it alone a little bit. But they've, they've put in some reasonable results. They've gradually worked on their weaknesses. And this is really a stepping stone for 2020 and beyond for them. This is giving them that baseline Olympic experience. They know what to expect. They know what the level is so that they can plan their assault for the next two Olympics. Now, anyone listening has obviously worked out that you're British. Um, how have you gone from competing for Britain in the um Olympics in 2004 to taking Canada to the Olympics in 2016? Well, I started working in Canada in 2010. So I've been here for six years now. Um, I was with the Canadian team in London in 2012. I was coaching the star class, which sadly is now no longer part of the Olympics. Um, but as, as always with most that, people's... That was, that was your class, wasn't it, at the Olympics? That was my class, yeah. And it, you know, the, it is still going strong in a non-Olympic sense. There's some a small professional circuit that that carries on and I've been glad to say that I've been able to sail in some of those events in the last year or so. Um, but as with most people's moves around the world, it's to do with love. Uh, my wife's Canadian, <laughs> my wife's Canadian, as you know, you've worked with her at Sky Sports. Um, yep. she's Canadian. She was a, an Olympian in 2004 herself and the opportunity came up. We were living in England at the time. The opportunity came up to work in Canada with the Canadian team. Um, and it was a great opportunity for me in my career um, and for Deirdre to also come back to Canada where her friends and family are. And we've, we've loved being back here. We've got two kids back here who are Canadian, uh, Canadian and English, I like to say. Um, but they do I guess like, 
they'll make their own minds up at some stage. I know, I know. So it's been great, you know, and it's been great for me to experience another country, um, an English-speaking country, which always makes things easier. But Canada's a great place. The people are amazingly friendly, and it's a great place to be. But is it uh, is it kind of weird working for another country's national team? A little bit, um, but there's so many. There's such a spread now of nationalities within the coaching and the management side of Olympic sailing. You know, the, the sport has become more professional than it was even ten years ago. And you'll see, you know, there's a lot of the, the Brits have turned out a lot of good coaches, a lot of good managers, and they're dotted around a lot of the main sailing nations at the Olympics. Um, so it's it's not unusual to hear a, a myriad of different accents within a specific team. I think within our Canadian team, our high performance director is Canadian. Uh, myself, I'm British. Um, Eric Stibby, who's one of our other coaches, is Dutch stroke Australian. Um, and then we have two other Canadian coaches with us. So, you know, there's a, there's a breakdown within our team of, you know, different nationalities. And I think it's great. You get different ideas from different systems and you try and meld them all together into, you know, one performance package. And I'm thinking of, of the weather conditions in Canada. When you think of them, you always think of extremes. So, so what's it like um, sailing and trying to get training time in? How, how does your year pan out? It's it's tricky. You know, if we were in England, you could pretty much sail in Weymouth most days in the year. Um, when we're in Toronto, we can really only sail here from April. I mean, the lake temperature is about four or five degrees centigrade, so it's pretty cold, through to the end of October. Then everybody up sticks, we put everything on a trailer, we drive down to Florida, and we spend the winter in Florida until probably the end of February. And then we'll move out to Europe, maybe Spain um, or yeah, Palma de Mallorca, somewhere like that. And we'll train there until the European season begins. Yeah, so it, logistically, it's a bit harder, but you know, it, it, it does give you quite a nice uh, slice of the world every year. Yeah, sounds, sounds great. Um, now, t- talking of conditions, um, Guanabara Bay, it's not getting the best of write-ups um, even now, so close to the Olympics. Everyone had hoped that it would be cleaned up and sorted by by now, but clearly what, what there is is what we'll get. Um, you guys taking any special precautions? I mean, we, we have to be sensible about what's happening out there. We know there's physical debris in the water and they're trying to clear that with, you know, boats every day and nets trying to pick everything up. Um, there's... You know, there's dirt in the water. You don't know what's in the water, really. But as you say, it is what it is. They're not going to move the venue. The sailing's not going to go anywhere else. The races are still going to happen on the same days they say they're going to happen. So, you know, all we can do is be sensible about it, make sure the athletes have got all their shots and inoculations up to date, make sure that we've got good medical advice. They're, they're elite athletes. We've got doctors at the highest level giving us advice as to what to expect, what to do make sure we're armed with any antibiotics or specific drugs that we might need. Um, and just, just being careful, you know, not, not putting the water, your water bottle in the bottom of your laser where it gets covered in water from the ocean and then drinking water from it. You know, always handing it back to your coach. Coach is always keeping it in a box. Coach, when you pick up the tow line from the water, always cleaning your hands with some, you know, some of the uh, antibacterial gel. We've got plenty of that on every coach boat. Um, and you know, things like drinking cans of Coke. I mean, it sounds crazy, but Coke's pretty good at killing most bugs and germs. 
Um, <laughs> it doesn't sound very scientific, but you know, you talk to any of the triathletes who swim in you know various city center locations. That's what they'll do after a race. You know, they'll drink some coke. It, it helps to kill a lot of bugs. Um, and you just, we just got to be careful. You know, yes, will there be people who get sick during the games? Most likely. Uh, will it be from the water directly? Who knows? could be from the food, it could be from the heat, it could be from dehydration. So it's the same wherever we go. We have to take whatever precautions we can and the rest of it, you know, it's up to whatever happens. So, you know, the guys are not letting it affect their decision-making. They're, you know, pushing ahead as they would in any other venue in the world. I think they're sponsors, Coca-Cola, but I doubt that'll go on their advert. It kills most <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I tell you, it works. <laughs> well, uh, we'll be drinking plenty of it in the uh, in the media centre as well, I guess. Um, just just finally, then I, I just get a sense of um, kind of real optimism going into uh, Rio twenty sixteen for Canada. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting sailing within Canada as an Olympic sport. Um, it's relatively low on the pecking order in comparison to say Great Britain. Great Britain has a quite a small Winter Olympic program. Canada has a massive Winter Olympic program. So all of those sports take a lot of precedence over the summer sports. Um, we don't get a huge amount of funding. You know, where the Brits over a four-year period would get between 40 and 50 million Canadian dollars, we would maybe get two to three million Canadian dollars. So that's the kind of, you know, gap that we're dealing with. Um, you know, we've got to hope going into these games – the conditions within the bay will make the racing a little tricky. There's not going to be in every class, the favorite isn't going to win. So does that help us? Absolutely. Because it means, you know, it's a little more open. It means the outsider can come in. Somebody who goes there without big pressure of expectation can actually sail a really good week and come away with a good result. Um, and I feel we've got a bunch of young athletes who are hungry. They're keen to perform and they enjoy being on the world stage and that they don't have that massive pressure of expectation that maybe a lot of the Brits do as, as world champions in lots of classes or some of the locals like Robert Scheidt um, or the FX girls from Brazil who have that pressure of being the local favourites. You know, really, we, we try and fly under the radar as much as we can and then surprise people near the end when they say, well, where did Canada come from all of a sudden? Well, we're there and we're just waiting for the right time to perform. Fascinating stuff. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing your guys and girls perform and the very best of luck. Great. Thank you, Alec. And it's great to talk to you. Andy, so uh, tricky conditions on Guanabara Bay. It could give the underdogs a chance, Steve reckons. Why so tricky? This has to be the trickiest race course, the trickiest sailing venue that the Olympic regatta has ever experienced in its more than 100 years. Because up until about... 15, 20 years ago, Olympic sailing always used to take place far out to sea so that you could find a really steady course and the wind hardly moved. Then we had Sydney Harbour uh, in 2000 and we had that Noth course, so-called, in Weymouth four years ago, London 2012. That was thought to be a tricky course, but the Noth course has got nothing on the course which sits right underneath the shadow of Sugarloaf Mountain. So it's going to be, I dare I say it, snakes and ladders. I think um, that's a board game that doesn't travel very far beyond the UK, but I hope you know what I mean by snakes and ladders. It's a 
a, a great opportunity to uh, to make big gains if you start badly. Equally, if you've made a great start, it might end up counting for nothing. So, so there's a big roll of the dice here, and the the experts, the the favourites in each of the classes, will be hoping they get in a full race of series, a uh, full series of races rather. Um, that will enable the luck to even um, out. Now, Steve was saying that sailing is pretty low down the pecking order in Canada, so low that their Olympic committee only hands out four passes for coaches. Now, is accreditation really so limited? I'm surprised by that. Um, it doesn't surprise me because actually uh, the number of cities queuing up to um, host an Olympic Games is a lot less than it used to be. The, the Olympics is getting so big, it's creaking at the seams. And, and the number of cities in the world that actually feel prepared to take it on and host it is really diminishing. So so the numbers that fly into a place, especially a restricted place like Rio de Janeiro, which is restricted by its, by its mountainous geography, I can fully understand that accreditations are limited. And, and not just for coaches, for, for media as well. Unless, of course, course your NBC who have got well I don't know how many thousands of uh, of staff here covering this um, um, now I love that line about coke as well being a miracle cure just going back to what you were saying about the water conditions possibly turning the whole thing into a disaster yeah well uh, coke we we know that if you put one of your um, teeth <laughs> in coke for a week that it disappears we know that coke is great for cleaning the insides of toilets and so I suppose uh, it's a similar theory uh, that Coca-Cola is great for clearing out all those unwanted bugs that might creep into your system if you take a face full of water and during a race. And the beauty is sponsors of the games that uh, everywhere you go has got a fridge of free Coca-Cola and other uh, Coca-Cola products uh, for you to drink. So um, I'm, I'm enjoying one right now. Um, any, of the, any other of the uh, smaller nations you fancy for an upset apart from the Canadians? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are going to be individual medals picked up uh, by small nations. The standout one for me last time around London 2012 was Pavlos Contides getting the silver medal uh, for Cyprus. I think maybe that was Cyprus's first ever Olympic medal in any Olympic Games in any sport. And Pavlos Contides could well do that again. I guess that wouldn't be an upset because he's already won a silver medal before. Um, but the Croatians tend to be very good in the laser as well. Uh, Tonki Stepanovic, for example. Um, oh, I could I could go through a few more, but um, I, I think the big hitters are still going to be the uh, the usual suspects. That I think it's going to come down to the Brits and the Aussies and and the French and the um, some of the other big nations are, are going to do well as expected. Well, of course, one guy who won't be adding to his five Olympic medals is Ben Ainsley. Can you believe that he won't be there? Yes, I can. I sort of can't believe that he made it through five in the first place. I mean, it is a phenomenal achievement. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, things move on. I think five games and five Olympic medals is a pretty good run. I think it's time to give that other guy, Giles Scott, a run at it. He's, I think, 28 years old and he's only doing his first Olympic Games. And he is every much a, a favourite to win the gold medal in the Finn, as was Ben Ainsley. And if Giles Scott does do it, it means that GBR, Great Britain, would have won the Olympic gold medal in the Finn going all the way back to when Ian Percy won it in Sydney 2000. And of course, um, Ben Ainsley will be uh, staying at home, feeding the baby, changing nappies. And congratulations to him and, and, and his wife on on the new addition to their their family, Bellatrix, I believe their daughter's called. 
He's not the only legend who will be missing. Ainsley's big mate, Ian Percy, uh, is also missing the games for the first time since Sydney 2000 when he won the uh, first of his two gold medals. He's now team manager and tactician for America's Cup team Artemis and I caught up with him at the World Series event in Portsmouth. Ian, first time in 16 years that you won't be going to the Olympics. Does that feel strange? Um, I've been so busy at the moment. The, the kind of fact the Olympics is a few weeks away has somewhat passed me by, but I must admit we're at the self for gold ball which is a traditional british team send-off um with ben and a couple of the other old shirley the other old hats for one of another word and that was a strange feeling you know we were welcoming them on to the stage as uh, as observers to wish them luck and it was like, oh no, this is the other way around but look i there's a point where you have to accept that you wouldn't have done well if you had gone so uh um that, that that's fine. I think you know they're going to do well. The British team, I'm, I'm every confidence in them. It's it has been a big change in era, though. You know when you think myself, Ben, and Bart have been involved in the Olympic team, really straight out of our youth. So twenty odd years we've been kind of a big part of that team. Um, so it's been a change, but I think the the younger people have stepped up and they'll do they'll do just fine. Now earlier on the show we we heard from your old Olympic sailing partner Steve Mitchell who's uh, still very much involved in the Olympic sailing programme with Canada. Um, is there a part of you that misses that whole Olympic circuit, that wishes you could go back to, to doing that? Yeah, I do. I, did re- I do really enjoy it. I think the, particularly the technical boats, the, the Star and the Finn, I enjoyed a lot um, because um, you were basically running your mini America's Cup team, developing equipment, testing, and um, but without the hundreds of people that come along with it which is which is fun and great camaraderie but is a lot of work and pressure for myself running an america's cup team so i I like that i also like the purity of the competition there's there's also a thousand people every event you get to so you catch up with a load of old faces and there's a vibrance and an innocence to young olympic campaigners that i find very refreshing i guess you'll be supporting your america's cup teammates uh, with Artemis Nathan Outridge who'll be uh, flying the flag for Australia in the 49ers but who do you tip as an emerging talent in Rio? Yeah I think Nathan and uh, Ian Jensen are coming in a form exactly the right time we haven't given them a whole lot of uh, leverage to get out and train in their 49er and as a result uh, Pete Burling and um, Blair Took have kind of dominated for the last four years but then just last week in the South American Championships Nathan and Ian beat Pete and won that championship. But uh, maybe I also noticed in talking about young talent, there was a couple of guys from Poland, Lucas and Paul, who who also beat um, Pete, Peter Burling and, and Blair too. If you think about those guys, they've been unbeaten in four years. And we're talking about two completely unknown, certainly to me at this point, Polish 49er sailors. So that shows real talent. We, we consider these Nathan and Pete that, the future of high performance sailing but there's some people coming from maybe unexpected countries out there with a whole heap of talent uh, and finally just a few days out from the start of uh, rio how will those sailors be feeling because you've been through it so many times and what's your tip to them well they'll be feeling incredibly nervous and they'll be having butterflies and i say it to Anyone who's going to the Olympic Games, do not fight those nerves. Accept that you will be nervous. Accept you will have butterflies. You'll struggle to sleep in a way you've never struggled to sleep before. But embrace it and realize that it will help your performance, not hurt it. The worst thing you can do is worry about being worried. There's absolutely no reason to. That's your body's way of getting you ready for the fight.
Well, there you go. Wise words from a man who would know. And I wonder if there won't be a pang of nostalgia for him when he actually sits down and, and watches the action on TV, Andy. Yeah, you would have thought so. Ian Percy was always such a passionate competitor at the Olympic Games and has that extra poignancy of um, the, the gold and silver medal at the last two Olympics that he won with his uh, late great friend, Andrew Bart Simpson. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure um, Ian, part of him wishes that he was there, but I'm sure he's going to be wishing his uh, GBR compatriots all the best. By the way, I should say that Ian will come on the show again next month to talk about Bart's Bash and his old friend Andrew Simpson and the charity that he set up in Simpson's memory. Um, We'll bring you a full preview of Bart's Bash, which is a a massive global sailing regatta. Anyone can take part, even beginners. Uh, We'll tell you, um, well, just loads of information on how to enter, where to sail, where all the money goes from the event. So that'll be episode three of Sailing Uncovered, uh, which will be out in uh, late August, early September. So keep an ear and an eye out for that. Now, the most successful Olympic sailing nation is Great Britain, who boasts 25 gold medals since the start of the modern Olympics. So who will be adding to that total this time around for them? And who better to tell us than the squad's communications manager, Lindsay Bell, who lives and breathes the team. So, runners and riders, Lindsay, who should we look out for? So the team is uh, is in a really good place, actually. We've got um, we've got fantastic sailors and proven performers in every one of the 10 Olympic classes and the three Paralympic classes, of course. And, um, yeah, we're really hopeful that the, the guys will, um, will be able to show the business in Rio. So 15 athletes in all across the 10 Olympic classes. Um, so for, for the fans who maybe can't, you know, watch absolutely everything, who, who should they tune in to, to see in action? Well, of course, I'll say everybody, really. But um, I mean, I suppose the, the name that most people will, will have heard um, uh, from his performances in recent years will be Giles Scott. Uh, in the Finn class, he's obviously looking to uh, to continue a, a fine British tradition in in that class, following on from um, Ian Percy winning gold in Sydney 2000, and obviously um, Sir Ben Ainsley in in recent years. Um, Giles has, has had a fantastic cycle. Uh, I mean, really, uh, an unbeaten um, for, for a large portion of that cycle, and only managed to, to let that slip in in April um, following a uh, a little bit of equipment. Problems, but um, he really is the, the guy to the guy to watch and the, the guy to beat in the Finn class at the moment. Uh, four-time world champion there, so um, yeah, he'll be looking to, to finish that that cycle off with a gold medal in Rio. And the the four seventy boys, obviously a, a story there. Um, unfortunately, with Luke Patience, former partner Elliot Willis, who's who's fighting cancer at the moment. Um, and uh, do you have an update, by the way, how, on how he is? Uh, we saw Elliot only last week. Actually, uh, he came along. Um, he came along to the team send off at the, the sale for gold ball with his wife. Um, he was looking really well, um, in, in great spirits, and his treatment's ongoing. Um, it's, it's having positive effects, but um, obviously a, a little long way to go yet. Um, but we, we wish him all the best, and it was great to see him there supporting the team. And I know we'll we'll be thinking of him this summer. We certainly will. Um, so good luck to to him. Now, Chris Groob has taken. Um, Elliot Willis's place. Um, so, how how is Luke and, and Chris? How how are they measuring up? Um, they've obviously had a, a really uh, short campaign, um, having sort of only got into the boat together at the, the back end of 2015, following Elliot's diagnosis. But 
Um, I suppose on their side is the fact that they, they used to sail together in the 470 um, up until 2009 in their sort of early days in the boat. Um, so they're good friends. They know each other well. Um, building that relationship is quite such an important thing in a, in a double-handed boat. So um, they can fast track some of that to a certain extent. Uh, and they've made great progress in the, in the time they've had with their, their coaching team as well. Um, uh, managed to win a, a bronze medal at the Sailing World Cup, Weymouth and Portland. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're feeling pretty confident. But, um, yeah, a little bit of work still to do. Um, but they're, they're confident going into the games and um, there's, there's absolutely no reason why they, they won't be in the medal mix. Now, NACRA 17 is, is a new class to these games. Uh, you've got Ben Saxton and Nicola Groves competing in that. Um, how, how does it look generally as, as a class? Because um, it sounds pretty exciting. And, and, and what are the British prospects? I really love the NACRA as a class. To watch it is just spectacular. Uh, I mean, certainly in the early days of... Um, of the guys getting to grips with the boats, there were some pretty epic crashes, which, um, you know, quite fun to watch from the TV pictures, but it's, it's a, a great class. It's fun to watch. It's fast. It's exciting. Um, it's one of the only mixed events across the whole of the Olympic program of any sport, actually. So it's quite interesting from that perspective of how the dynamic of the, the male and female balance works and, you know, whether you have a male helm or a female helm. Um, that's a bit of a mixture across all the different countries. People have different combinations and there's, there's nothing yet that's sort of proven that, you know, you have to have a male helm or a female helm to, to make it work better. Um, for us, we've got Ben Saxton and, and Nicola Groves, who are the current European champions. Um, they won the Sailing World Cup, Weymouth and Portland, uh, which was a fantastic result for them. So they'll be going into the games, um, you know, really knowing that they can beat the best of the world um, on their day. So uh, they're pretty excited about the, the whole Olympic experience. Um, Nicola was, was smiling broadly when we picked up our Olympic kit the other day. So she's, she's looking, uh, looking forward to her first games. Um, It'll be a big challenge, uh, for sure. There's some, some tough competitors in there, um, not least uh, Billy Besson and Marie Roux from France, who are the four-time uh, world champions. They're the only pair to win a world championship in this, this cycle, which is obviously the first one for the boat. So um, definitely some ones to watch there. But again, no reason why Ben and Nicola can't count themselves among the, hmm. among the main players. Uh, another medal for Bryony Shaw in the windsurf? Uh, Bryony has has had a fantastic cycle, fantastic last couple of years in particular. She's on on good form um, and confident. You know, she's uh, obviously had a, a disappointment in the run up to London, where some illness sort of early on in 2012 really impacted on her her fitness and her ability to prepare in the way she would have wanted to. Um, but she is she's definitely going all out for uh, for those podium spots in um, in Rio and. Uh, Having had that disappointment in London, I've no doubt that she's got the bit between her teeth and will be uh, will be pushing very, very, very hard. <laughs> now, obviously, everyone in in the squad are, are well established. They've worked their way up, um, you know, through through the ranks to to be there. But uh, who are the, the the young guns that we should be um, watching, and you know, the stars, the real big stars of the future? Yeah, I mean, we've we've spoken about Ben and Nicola. Obviously, they're they're among the, that number. This is the first Olympic Games for for both of them. They're both in their mid twenties, um, so you know, got got a, a potentially a, lo- a long career ahead of them if they want to. Um, we've got Charlotte Dobson and Sophie Ainsworth in the Forty Nine er FX, also going to their first games uh, and a new class for them as well, uh, which they're they're loving. Um, Dylan Fletcher and Alan Sign, um, first Olympic Games for them as well in the Forty Nine er class. They've been 
sailing together for a long time. It's been a, a long journey for those boys, 10 years together in the 49er, but finally made it to their first Olympics. And uh, I know they'll be trying to make it count as well. So, so uh, you know, it, we've got uh, a, a real mix of talent. We've got um, former, we've got Olympic medalists, the likes of Hannah Mills and Saskia Clark, Luke Patient, um, long, uh, long time campaigners such as Giles and Nick Thompson, who are really at the top of their game right now. Nick, of course, having won back-to-back uh, Laser World titles um, over the past couple of years. Um, Alison Young's popped out as a, the Laser Radial World Champion uh, this year. Fantastic result for her. So with um, with some really experienced campaigners, we've got some uh, some young talents as well, and it's a, a great a great mix, I think, for our team. So, so that brings us nicely to the next obvious question, which is what are the targets? What will you, as a team, be leaving Rio? What would you like to be leaving Rio with as far as medal numbers and colours are concerned? Um, we have a target that we, we really want to be the top Olympic sailing nation again um, in terms of medal numbers for London. That was us. Um, the colours were, uh, were such that um, Australia pipped us in the, the overall uh, official medal table, um, although we, we won more medals than the Australians. They got more golds than we did. Um, so we really want to be at the top of that medal table again. Uh, Rio is an incredibly challenging venue, as I'm sure any sailor would tell you. Um, it's really quite hard uh, topography in terms of the, you know, the, the land and the, how the wind interacts with the land and the tidal conditions. It's a very, very tough venue. So um, we think uh, that four medals uh, is a realistic target for us. Um, obviously, we're, we're going in with 10 realistic medal prospects. Uh, and we'd like to come away with four medals from that. And uh, hopefully if we can we can do that and uh, have at least one gold among them, then w- we hope that we'll be top of the medal table. Now, a little bit earlier, we were talking to um, Steve Mitchell with the Canadian sailing team, and he was talking about the, the huge difference in funding for uh, sailing in a country like Canada and a country like Britain, where um, I think it's £24 million pounds, um, is invested into our Olympic programme, uh, which is considerably more than um, some, of the, some of those other nations. Um, so people would say, um, quite right that you come back with all these medals. And so it should be. I think uh, it's it's um, it's not so easy to draw straight comparisons like that. Yeah, we we do uh, receive twenty four million pounds from UK Sport via the government and the National Lottery funding, which is a great investment into our sport and has enabled us to to have a, you know that step change really that we saw in sailing performance between the Atlanta Games and the Sydney Games that really was a turning point in the successes of our team. Um, but not all of that 24 million goes to the elite end of the sport. It's also used to help underpin some of the um, the pathway projects, you know, the youth and junior sailors coming through um, into facilities as well. So uh, not all of that is, is available at our disposal to, to do what we want with. And, uh, and um, you know, I, I believe that a number of other countries have similar levels of funding, um, uh, but choose to spend them in a different way. So, we choose to fund um, on a you know, relatively equal basis all of our 10 Olympic classes, whether, whereas other countries choose to, to fund fewer classes than that and invest more of their, their finance into smaller numbers. Um, that's not how we run our programme, but um, you know, each to their own. Now, there's been a lot of talk about the, the water quality in Rio and the dangers of it. Uh, what, what are your tips? Have you got any crazy tips for the sailors to keep them safe? <laughs> Uh, no crazy tips. I think um, you know we're aware of a, another number of other sailors and from other countries who have gone down the um, you know the the cola route, shall we say, to um, to help fend off tummy bugs. But um, 
Uh, no, very, very diplomatic. Thank you. <laughs> for us, it's just about uh, it's it's about doing the basics absolutely right. You know, completely OCD, if you like, uh, in terms of your health and hygiene routines um, at all times, but particularly when you come off the water. Um, so things like um, disinfecting your your sailing clothing, um, making sure you wash down all your equipment and all your kit with um, with clean water, making sure you shower, um, you know, with with proper sort of hospital grade, um, you know, uh, shower shower uh, gel, um, uh, things like that, really, and also mm-hmm. in preparation for uh, what you might encounter on the water. Um, we work with one of our sponsors, Healthspan Elite, uh, who supply us with a number of supplements that, uh, including probiotics, which help strengthen the um, help strengthen the stomach against what it might encounter. Uh, so, a number of measures really, um, uh, and obviously the bacterial element is really only one of the issues that that Rio has with its water quality. Um, the well. debris in the litter is is something else which uh, it needs a, a different method. Obviously, uh, apart from having to talk about uh, bacterial levels in in the water, your job. I reckon sounds sounds pretty great. You know, if if uh, if someone's listening to this and they're at school, they're young sailors. Um, just just give us a, a very brief overview of what you'd be doing uh, during the games because it sounds really exciting, doesn't it? Living with the athletes, you know, breathing the, the the sort of tension and pressure, but also the the happiness and joy at the end of it. Absolutely, yeah. I do, it is a great job. I do count myself very very lucky to to. You know, in the position where I'm working with some some pretty talented and uh, and driven people, um, uh, it's hard work. They can be a real pain in the neck, though, can can't be. they? Sometimes they can be, and uh, you do have to you do have to kind of have empathy and understand where they're coming from. When you you know, I'm, I'm usually the person that's asking them to do things they don't really want to do. Um, but it is it's great, and it's uh, you know, the experiences I've had through the, the job have been amazing. This will be my fifth Olympic Games, uh, my third with sailing, um, and uh, yeah, I'm really really looking forward to it. It's uh, on a daily basis, I suppose. During the Olympic Games, it's about just being the eyes and ears of the team, um, being aware of what's going on uh, across uh, the other the other nations, and uh, you know, within the sailing venue as well, in case there are any issues which would impact on our team that we need to be aware of. Um, it's also about getting the story out there and working with the, the media and the broadcasters in the venue to, to, to sell the story of, of sailing and our, our, our competitors. And hopefully we'll have some, some good stories to, uh, to tell uh, with a few medals at the end of it. Um, but it's also, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking sometimes as well, having, having been working with the team for a long time and you see how much it means to them. And, and sometimes it doesn't work out and there'll be people this summer um who for whom it doesn't work out and it's about you know being there to support them through that process as well um so it's it's uh it's a it's a challenge but um hopefully we'll get the balance right okay so finally Lindsay, we're just a few days away from everything getting underway and kicking off in rio what what are the sailors doing now what's the mood in the camp like uh, the mood in the camp is one of uh, ex- excited expectation, I suppose. We're all uh, we're all in Rio, um, just making the final uh, preparations in terms of equipment and, and training on the waters. Uh, the team just before competition will go away for a couple of days on a, a bit of a holding camp, um, just to get away from the Olympic venue for a couple of days, clear heads, um, and come back ready for the the heat of competition, if you like. That's quite an important part of our our preparation that we do for every games. Um, we spend so much time in the Olympic venue in the build-up. I think most sailors have done between 90 and 150 days in Rio this cycle. So it's a lot of time, and, and sometimes you, you just need to take a step back uh, before you, you go back into the into the heat of battle, if you like. So um, 
so yeah, a, a little holding camp and then uh, into the final equipment uh, checks and uh, into racing. So, yeah, can't wait. And the very best of luck to you all. Thank you very much. Andy, as Lindsay mentioned right. there, Britain uh, won the most sailing medals at London 2012. Uh, but just to clarify, Australia won three golds and Spain two compared to Britain's solitary gold, which meant that GBR finished in third overall, uh, but with five medals. So can they finish top this time? Uh, yes, I think they can. I mean, they were really unlucky that they failed to convert uh, more than just uh, one of those medals into a gold in London 2012. It, it so easily could have been more than that. Um, and I think they have the form to go and do it this time round again. I, I may not have felt that up until a few months ago, but the fact is GBR is sending the reigning world champion in all three of the single-handed classes. We, we've got uh, Nick Thompson in the laser, Giles Scott in the fin, and Alison Young in the laser radial, and that's unprecedented. And so there, right there in those three classes, we've got some great opportunities, and we've got pretty good opportunities in a number of other classes, and I think it's pretty hard for any other nation to match yeah, so that strength in depth. You think that Lindsay's being a bit... Um cautious when she's when she talks about being happy with one gold medal you'd expect more uh yeah i i would expect more but i can understand them wanting to hedge their bets i mean especially coming back to what we were talking about earlier and this being such a random venue i mean there there are some absolute shoe-ins for the gold medal like giles scott in the finn like the uh, the kiwis pete burling and blair chuk in the 49er virtually unbeaten over the last four years in either of those classes and yet Sugarloaf Mountain, breathing down your neck. Um, anything can happen. You mentioned on, on these random Kiwis. race courses. Uh, what about the Aussies? Ian Percy a little bit earlier on mentioned Nathan Outridge. Um, are the Aussies strong again this time round? Yes, they certainly are. Nathan Outridge and Ian Jensen. They haven't been able to take a race or, or a championship off uh, the Kiwis, their training partners, uh, since London 2012, when the Aussies got gold and, and the Kiwis got silver. Those roles have been reversed ever since then, up until a couple of weeks ago, when uh, Nathan and Ian Jensen, the Aussies, actually won the South American Championship. So that's the first time they've beaten the Kiwis, and for them, that must be a really symbolic moment for them um so they must feel that at last maybe they're getting back into the kiwis so there they have a chance they've got tom burton in the laser they got jake lilly in the fin uh they they've got uh, jason waterhouse and lisa darmanin in the nacra who, who's the bookies favorites sort of surprises me the bookies are putting them ahead of the french um, but yeah, I, there's probably a few others besides that. Are, that oh yeah, of course, <laughs> yes. Matthew Belcher um, and uh, Will Ryan in, in in the 470 men, absolute standout favourites there as well. With the you know, I say actually the Croatians. I meant the Cro- I mentioned the Croatians earlier, and Simo Fantella and Igor Marinic are also doing really well in the 470 and starting to beat those. I Aussies think on in a conclusion basis. at the end of this uh, this show we can uh, we can say that we are genuinely excited about what is going to unfold on the waters of Rio. Um, I'm always excited. Um, I think for the neutrals, it's exciting because there's going to be such a random element on the race course. Um, I think it's a little bit scarier for the favourites because this is a hard place to to go to as a favourite and to come out with the gold medal that your nation expects you to win. Andy, we're out of time. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for the uh, knowledge and the insight as always. No problem, Alec. You could... 
get me talking on this all day and I will be talking about this an awful lot during the Olympic Games and I can't wait. Great. Well, thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for tuning in and downloading the podcast. Do please tell your friends. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We are at Sailing Show or just uh, search for Sailing Uncovered. Um, follow us, tweet us, tell your friends and let us know as well um, on Twitter what you think of the podcast. And if you um, download it from podbean.com, you'll be able to leave your comments as well. And if you follow us, you'll get notified when the new episode is out. But for now, from me, Alec Wilkinson and Andy Rice and all the guests on Sailing Uncovered, it's a big thank you for listening. Enjoy the Olympics and Rio 2016. And we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.